Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, it's good to see everybody this morning. Um, It's good to be in the house, man. God's doing so many cool things. Before we get rolling, I just wanted to throw a couple things your way. Uh, First is this. Uh, How many of you know that Easter is a great opportunity to invite your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones to encounter God? We don't, we don't come to introduce people to a church. We come and we invite people to introduce them to a God that's alive. That's who we serve. So use this as an opportunity. We've got all kinds of things that, are, that enable you to do that. We've got community candy crush, grab a candy bag, give it to your neighbor, pray for them, invite them to all of our stuff. We have our Easter egg hunt that's going to be nuts. We already have 2,000 people signed up, and we still have two weeks to go. So only the Lord knows how many people will be here. All that's completely free. We have the way coming on, uh, on that good uh, Friday. And then Easter Sunday services are going to be incredible. We have a Saturday night at 6 o'clock and two Sunday morning services. Come and invite people. I'm not great at math, but I do know this. If each of us brings one person on Easter Sunday, we will double. I don't know what to tell you to expect on Easter, but this is one thing that you can kind of put your hopes on. I promise you this, as people come on Easter, your, your friends, as you invite them, they will encounter God's presence, and they'll hear God's message of love for them very clear. So bring them. Now, all that being said, you know, we've been asking your help to kind of do all these things. Uh, we don't uh, put a budget line together for these things. We raise the money for this. In order to do all these free things for our community, how many of you know to host, you know, three or 4,000 people cost money? So we're asking you guys to partner with us uh, uh, for the egg hunt and for all the things we're doing for Easter. Uh, our budget's about $15,000. Right now, we've got about a third of it raised. Pray and ask God what you'd give. You say, Lord, you know, what do you want me to give to help people to come in? Some of you can write a check for 100 bucks. Some of you can write a check for 1000 bucks. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. God does not need your money. This is a way for us to love our community extravagantly. And now for the important thing. Um, nothing we do, you heard Leo say this. Nothing we do in the church is effective without prayer. Prayer is the gasoline in the engine of the church. Uh, Tonight we're doing something very special. Starting at midnight, we're setting aside an entire day, 24 hours of concentrated prayer to pray for all the things that God's going to do in our midst through Easter. We're asking you to do this. If you look at the QR code behind me, if you scan that, we're asking you to sign up for a one-hour prayer slot to pray between midnight tonight and midnight tomorrow night. One hour. Could you not tarry one hour? I think somebody famous said that, right? Come pray here at the church. I'm not asking you to pray at home. I'm asking you to come here and pray. The church is going to be open at 2 in the morning. Yep, you know how I know that? I'll be here. We'll have coffee. We'll have goodies. There'll be prayer stations that are up here. There'll be prayer strategies. It'll be great. Trust me, the hour will go very quickly. Prayer is what we need in order to be effective. There's a harvest all around us, beloved. Let's get it done together. Do you think we can do this? If you haven't signed up, click on that QR code and sign up now. All right. So let me just tell you a couple things real quick as we get started. Um, I'm excited to talk today. Um, I think God's doing some very unique things. Today might mess with you just a little bit. So that's okay. How many of you know every once in a while that God likes to stretch you out of your comfort zone? That's okay, right? If your faith is comfortable, it's probably not the faith that God wants you to have. It wants us to be, you know, to be to know it, but if it just keeps you in your own little safe space, it's not what Jesus was talking about. So be ready. And then today, for those of you that don't like scriptures, I don't know what to tell you. Today you're gonna hate today. It's a lot of scripture today. Okay, so just suck it up, buttercup, and let's just get rolling. 
Now, we've been in our series called Rooted. It's important for us as believers to know what we believe and to be rooted in our faith. So um, this week, uh, last week actually, Wednesday, I guess it would be this week, um, we were at UVF. Um, you know, how many of you have kids? You know, you grow up and you do all the kid things. Your kids are in musicals. I remember, you know, at one time Toby was in a musical, kids musical, and he was a carrot. A singing carrot, you know, and we're like, oh, you're the best carrot I've ever seen. And you go through all that stuff. Well, well we're in a different stage of life now, and all of our kids are in college or gone. And, and I thought that all the sports days and all the things were over, but Toby is playing, um, he's playing volleyball uh, collegiately at UVF. So we still get to kind of enjoy those times. So we're at UVF last week, and we're watching them play this team. And uh, Ruan happens to be there too, Ruan and Nadia, because their future son-in-law is also on this team. And as we're there, they're battling, and the kids are doing great. I get a text from Ruan. He's sitting like two things behind me. He goes, he goes, do you hear that whistle, that guy whistling? I was like, well, I, I didn't notice the guy whistling. He goes, every time our guys serve the ball, or our guys go to hit the ball, this guy whistles. I didn't notice that. So I started to listen. And lo and behold, Ruan was right. We had a rogue whistler in the crowd. And, and I, I'm like, well, who is this guy? And he's like, it's, it's the, 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 the older guy over there. And there's a little, little short older guy, and he would whistle. And he didn't have a normal whistle. He had one of those whistles that could, like, wake the dead. You know what I'm talking about? And we're in this little gym, and doggone it, every time our guy served, he whistles. And I, I noticed this thing was happening to me. The more he whistled, the angrier I got. Now, it's not just me. I have a good friend from South Africa that's right behind me. Now, you know, the Greeks, we don't, you know, the Spartans, that was a long time ago. So I don't know how we're going to deal with this whistler. Now, Ruan's got ideas. If you live out in Africa, you're, he's got ideas. He does. So it's getting so intense. I'm no longer focused on what's happening in the game. I'm thinking about the whistler. I'm thinking about what car he's driving. <laughs> what I could find to puncture his tires. He's a small guy. Ruan and I could take him easily. We're thinking about, should we approach the whistler? What should we do? And it was the craziest thing. My mind was captivated with all the whistling, and I missed all the joy and the beauty of the game. Sometimes the enemy loves to keep us focused on the things that don't matter. We make those things that don't matter. We, we, we turn them into these mountains, these things that attract our attention. And what happens is this. When we allow the enemy to have that place in our life, it makes our faith drift. We don't accomplish the things that God wants to accomplish, and we don't appreciate the things that he's given us. How many of you know this? You're blessed. How often do we focus not on the blessing, but on all the things that we don't have? Understand this, beloved, that life that you think drives you nuts, the thing that is your know, terrible thing is other people's dreams. Why am, why am I telling you all this? Well, I'm telling you all this to remind you this. Unless you're rooted in your faith, we always lean toward the whistling. So this whole month we've been talking about what it means to be rooted in our faith. We started out with talking about how important it is for us to have a foundation of Christ. Your faith has got to be built on Christ. It can't be built on a denomination. It can't be built on, on anything other than who Jesus is. You find out through the Word. Second, last week, Daniel helped us, and he showed us that good, healthy faiths produce fruit. How many of you know that you're always producing fruit? Now, the question isn't if you're producing fruit or not. The question is, what fruit are you producing? 
The Bible says that we are judged by the fruit that we produce. So he reminded us of that last week. This week, we, we take another step. Now, you've got to hang with me because this is going to be kind of tough. But I believe in you. I think you can do it. You're a good-looking, remarkable, yeah, you're a remarkable group of people. What is the function of being a fully devoted follower of Christ? Christianity is one of those words now that could mean almost anything. When you say the word, I'm a Christian, in some of the, the halls of government or in school or whatever it is, some people cringe. Some people high-five you. Well, what is it? What does it mean to be a fully devoted follower of Christ? What does it mean to function the way that Jesus called us to function? If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. This is interesting today. If you have our app, you go to our app, you look under our services, look for live events, you get all my notes. If you're in the version of the Bible, look for events, you get all my notes. Jesus kind of, he kind of, he gives us an idea of what a disciple of his should look like. So let's just put ourselves in the mindset of where Jesus was at. So it's a couple thousand years ago, Jesus is sitting around the table with his disciples. He's giving them his last instructions. He's saying, guys, we've had a great three years. It's starting to come to an end. So let me give you some instructions on some things that are incredibly important. So he sits down and he has this conversation with them. John 14, 12. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I've done. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. So the Son, of, uh, so the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask, me if, ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. Can you put yourself around the table with the disciples? He's sitting in there, talking to the disciples, saying, guys, you know, I'm getting ready to go, but don't worry. You guys are going to carry on the family business. In fact, not only are you guys going to nail it, not only are you going to get it done, but you're going to do even better than I did. Can you imagine being a disciple around the table going, what? You're the son of God. How can we do what you do even better? Did you think about all the stuff they experienced? He saw them feed the 5,000, which for Greeks is like the greatest miracle ever. <laughs> Anything involving food is like right at the top of the list. He saw them. They saw him turn water to wine. They saw him heal the sick, open blind eyes, see demonized, cured. They watched him even raise people from the dead. How on earth? Could these disciples, could these people do anything greater than that? I mean, can you see them sitting around the table? You're the son of God. How, how can this happen? One of the things that I think drew people to Jesus was his ability to see past people's brokenness and their faults to their destiny. Do you know that when God sees you, when the creator sees you, he doesn't see you just in your brokenness. He sees you as he created you to be. He sees you as he created you to be and what he created you to do. And he looks past those things. In fact, a lot of times he'll use all of those experiences. He'll use all of those broken things. If you allow him, if you trust him, he'll take those broken parts of you and he'll build them into something that is beautiful. Nothing in your life, nothing in your life can't be used by God. I think it's why people hung out with Jesus. I mean, this be real. Don't, all of us, we need people in our lives that can speak to the destiny that God put within us. How many of you know that, you know, those that find the holes in your life, you have enough of those, right? 
How many of you have been gifted with somebody in your life that tells you every way that you stink? By the way, that is not a spiritual gift. If some of you are like, that's the gift God gave me. It is not, you just stink. We need people to look beyond our brokenness. Now, you need people to keep you in line. But you need people to look beyond your brokenness and to speak into your destiny. Um, I've told you this story before. I remember, um, so a lot of people don't understand how we get to do what we do as pastors. Just like anything else, we go to school, we go to learn things, you know, you, you, you study Greek, you study Hebrew, we have these classes, you know, one of the classes is called hermeneutics, that's where they teach you how to break down scripture. By the way, uh, Mark Russo uh, was taking hermeneutics this week, he had a 92% on his hermeneutics test, so he did really good. It's incredible. You learn how to do these things, they call them exegesises, where you take a scripture and you write 40 pages on one scripture. We need people to know how to break down the word, Right? Then you take homiletics, and homiletics is where they teach you how to teach. And, you know, I remember going to school, and for four years, part of my homiletics training was they they give you a talk, or you you build a talk, and you craft this talk, and you craft this talk. For four years, I crafted this talk. So it was a good talk. You put four years in anything, it's good. So I've told this story before. You know, Rob and I were in Plant City, Florida. I'm there doing my internship. It's a Sunday night, you know, my pastor the week before said, TJ, you're preaching Sunday night. 50 people at the strawberry, winter strawberry capital of the world. And if you looked over the crowd of the 50, all you saw was white and blue hair, as far as the eye could see. I remember Sister Walk sat right about where you're sitting right now. And I'm there and I'm teaching, and I got to tell you this, with all humility, I was amazing. (laughs) You have to be amazing. I had one talk I worked on in four years. And I worked on it, and the people were so excited. Oh, you blessed us, blah, blah, blah. I was so good. My pastor told me, you did such a good job, you're preaching next Sunday night. And I asked him, I said, well, pastor, I only got, I got my one-trick pony. I only got one talk. <laughs> he said, uh, he says, I said, what do you want me to talk about? He goes, just talk to the Lord about it. He'll tell you what you need to, to, to come up with. And I didn't know what he meant by that because they didn't teach me that in school. They, they told me what to teach, so I'm talking to God. So have you ever done this? You find yourself in a bad situation, and you're like, oh, God, you got to help me. Because it's bad, really bad. And I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And I have this thing that I think is a good talk. And as I'm teaching it on that Sunday night, as I'm teaching it, I'm talking to myself, saying stuff like this. This is really bad. Have you ever struggled to follow somebody that was teaching up here? I was doing that, and I wrote it. I'm like, where is he going? I don't know. He's an idiot. I know. It's me. I'm the guy. It's me. It was so bad, Sister Walk, who's sitting in the front, she was praying. She was going, help him, Lord, help him, Lord, help him, Lord, help him, Lord. It was so bad, God didn't even hear her prayers. He didn't answer. Nobody came. Nobody helped me. It was bad. So we got done with the talk, and my pastor goes, hey, i got to talk to you. And I said, I'm sure you do. I walked over, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he says, well, he goes, that was, that was interesting. So thank you, pastor. He said, uh, in fact, it was so interesting, you're going to teach next week. I said, were you not here? Did you not hear that? It was like a train and a plane smashed into each other. It was terrible. He looked at me. I'll never forget this. He said, son, he said, there's something about you. He says, God has big plans for your life. You will get better. He said, you need to do this. I said, okay. If you want your people to suffer, I think I cut the church in half. But if that's what you want, let's do it. So I studied. I prayed. I was like, oh, God, you have to help me. It was funny. that, That next week. It wasn't awful. It wasn't great, but it wasn't awful. My pastor continued to, to make me get into the rhythm of learning what that was like. Do you know why? 
he saw through my temporary setback to the destiny that God put in my heart, to what he created me to be. That's what God does with us. That's what he did with the disciples. When he sat around that table, he didn't just see the dysfunction that were the disciples at times, deciding who was first, deciding who was going to be the best. He didn't see them just in their weakness. He saw them how he created them to be. And beloved, that's how he sees us. He sees you through your purpose, through your function. So as fantastically ridiculous as it must have sounded to them that they would do greater things, you know what they did? Greater things. When he left and he gave them the keys to the family business, they knocked it out of the park. And they followed in his footsteps so closely, all but one gave their lives for him, just as he gave his, his lives for others. That's what a disciple does. Greater things will you do. Now, here's the thing that's nuts. You ready for this? Not only was God speaking to those that were sitting around the table about the greater things that they would do, he was speaking to us. Why? We are also disciples. Those words were pointed at us. Beloved, know this. Your faith was never designed to be completely safe, to be internal, and to be extraordinarily ordinary. That's not what faith is. We're called to be like Jesus. And let me just tell you this. Jesus was anything but ordinary. Think about this. He impacted the world so much, he split time. That's not ordinary. That's not safe. And Jesus called us, ready for this? To be a disciple. To be like him. Do you know what a disciple is? A disciple is to be like the one that leads you. Back in the Old Testament, you had rabbis, and they would, they would invite these, these people to be disciples. And when the rabbi would invite somebody to be his disciple, what he was saying was this, I believe that someday you could do what I do. You could be like me. That's what he did. Jesus called them to be disciples. Jesus calls us to be disciples, to be like him. That's what we are. That's what we're called to do, to make disciples. Jesus said this word, these words in Matthew 28, 19. He said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Here's the reality of disciple making. All of us are disciples of something. We are. All of us are becoming like something, someone. And all of us are making disciples. Here's the question. What kind of disciple are you making? You can't make a disciple of Jesus if you're not a disciple of Jesus. You can't do it. We're making disciples of something. So here's the question. Is it actually possible to be a disciple of Jesus? Is it actually possible to be like him? Is it possible to function like Jesus did, to do the things that Jesus did, and even do greater things? According to Jesus' words about you, yes, it is possible. You can. So then how do we get there? How do we become disciples that will do greater things than what Jesus did? Well, first, we have to identify what are these greater works that Jesus was talking about. Now, this can be confusing for us as believers because all of us have different ideas about what faith is. 
Have you ever noticed this about faith, about our personal faith? Have you ever noticed this? The things that are important to you are also important to Jesus. Think about that. The things that are important to you are also important to Jesus. Sometimes our faith is more a reflection of what we like and what we're comfortable with rather than the things that God is desiring for us to do. Our faith reflects us. Well, how do we know that? Well, how many denominations do we have? How many different churches do we have? Sometimes God calls us to a church. Other times we slide into a church that fits our needs, our heart, and our ethos. I'm not saying that's, that's wrong. I'm just saying we have to be careful. Sometimes we shape Jesus instead of allowing Jesus to shape us. For example, some of you are here today and you're in love with the Word. You love it. You know, I preach like I have a lot of Scripture today. You'll see more of it. I had a couple people come up to me today, Pastor, I love it when you do Scripture. That's Scripture. I just I get all fired up because that's the Word of God. It's, it's like, you know, you can hear the Rocky music, da-da-da, and they're just ready to go. Some of you are people of the Word, and you should be. You should be in love with the Word. In fact, you love the Word so much, you suffer through worship to get to the Word. Right? Some of you show up late because you can't, nah, that's singing, I can't do it. But the Word, give me the Word, baby. Right? Because everybody knows Jesus is just about the Word. He didn't sing at all. Now, some of you are on the opposite end. Some of you are worship people. You wake up on Sunday morning and you get all excited because you get, you get to get your praise on. You know what I'm talking about? And you come in here and it's just so great. And, and when they hit that first note, when that electric guitar plays and that keyboard plays, and, you know, and when Chip strums that guitar, you hear the tone and you are teleported into the third heaven. And it's incredible. And everything else goes away and then you, you wait me out through my talk so that you can hang out for the beginning of second service worship so then you can get another worship on and then you go away. Huh? The God you serve, he just, he's a singing God. He's a worship God. He's a dancing God. He's all, and understand this, all that stuff is good. It is. You know, we all have our things. We have our values, and they, they're reflected in our faith, and there's nothing wrong with that. As long as we understand where we end and where God begins. Right? Because if you don't do that, our faith is incomplete. All of us have our things. Like, for example, I'm a hospitality person. Did you see the cakes and the cookies out there today? Some, I, I think Janet was, I, <laughs> Kevin's in the back going, it is good, it is good. You know, Janet, I think, Bamani said she's like not doing any sweets for like the few months. And I was like, you picked the wrong months to not do sweets. I'm a, a hospitality person. That means this. I think God's love can, can be, you know, he can be conveyed in coffee and cookies and pastries and all those beautiful things. I think one of the reasons I love The Chosen, watching The Chosen, that Jesus, I could share a meal with that Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? We can high five. Can you pass me the Tabasco? So, yeah, he'd pass it to me. It'd be great because I'm a hospitality guy. And I love it. And nothing would thrill me more for us just to hang out around the table and spend all night just talking about Jesus and eating. But I understand this. The church is more than that. It is. So here's my point. All of those things are good. But if we define Jesus by what we like, the picture is incomplete. It's just incomplete. Jesus is the one who defines what disciples are. Jesus is the one who models for us what disciples do. He shapes us. We don't shape him. He sets the definition. He sets the pace for what a disciple is. So we have to look for God for our understanding of what it means to be a disciple, for what it means for, for Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, what that looks like. So Jesus gives us some insight into what a disciple 
functions like, what a disciple is supposed to function like by this little exchange that Jesus had with this guy named John the Baptist. Now, for those of you who don't know who John the Baptist was, he was born to elderly parents who were never really able to have children up to this point. His dad's name was Zechariah, his mom's name was Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest who was doing his priestly duty one day, and an angel of the Lord visited him. While he was doing his priestly stuff, Gabriel came to him. Gabriel's the same angel that came to Mary, right? And he said, Zechariah, you're going to have a baby in your old age. And not only is the baby, you're going to have a baby, but the baby's going to be great. You're going to call him John. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. And I have a special function for this young man. I'm going to use him to bring people back to God. In fact, not only is he going to bring people back to God, but I'm going to use him to prepare the way for the Messiah. That's who John the Baptist is. Now we know this, John the Baptist and Jesus, we know that they were related, they grew up together, they were cousins. John was called to prepare the way. John baptized people, helped them to turn from their sins. He even baptized Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 3. It says this, when Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, then John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? Verse 15. But Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. Look at verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. John the Baptist, his cousin, experienced all of this. Now, John was a pretty unique guy. He lived in the desert. He wore camel, you know, camel-haired clothes. He ate locusts. How many of you have ever, you've had a bad meal before? I've never eaten a bug, and I hope to God I never have, I, at least not that I know of, right? And so he lived out in the desert, and he was, he was a hard-focused man. Well, one day he felt King, you know, King Herod, the leader Herod, had done something, that, and he needed to be the voice of God to rebuke him. So he did, and it cost him his freedom and eventually his life. So fast forward a few years later, John finds himself in prison, or a few months later, for speaking out against this ruler, Herod. Something happened to John in that dark prison. He began to experience something that all of us as believers experience from time to time, doubt. John grew up with Jesus. John was filled with the Spirit before he even came out. The Bible tells us this. In the womb, John left when he came into contact with Mary. He was there when the skies were split open and God spoke to John or to Jesus. And he said, this is my son. This is the guy. This is the one. I'm well pleased with him. But somewhere in this dark prison, he started to experience doubt. Beloved, don't let your dark seasons lead you down the path of doubt and despair. Don't let those dark seasons make you forget all of the good things that God's done in your life. Dark seasons can do one of two things when it comes to your faith. They can deepen your faith or they can destroy your faith. The darker it is, lean closer into God. So in prison, in that dark place, John sends word to his cousin because he's having doubt, he's having issues, he's having a crisis of faith. Are you really the guy? I mean, how do I know that it's really you? Of all people to ask that question, it was John. Look at Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 11. 
says, now John the baptizer, while he was in prison, he had heard about the wonderful deeds of Christ. So he sent his disciples to ask him this question. Are you really the one the prophet said would come, or should we still wait for another? Look at verse 4. Jesus answered them, give John this report. The blind see again. The crippled walk. Lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised back to life, and the poor and the broken now hear the hope of salvation. Look at verse 6. He says, and and tell John that the blessing of heaven comes to those who are not offended over me. Why did he add that last part? He was saying, John, I love you, I am the guy, but I'm not coming to save you. I have other things I have to do. Don't lose hope because you're going to be in that prison until the day you die. But what he did, he defined for John what a disciple is. He said this, John, to answer your question, I am the guy and this is how you can tell. The blind see, the crippled walk, deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the gospel is transforming lives through me. That's how you can tell. That's the mark of a disciple. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. Well, yeah, but that's kind of different than than what our disciples are. Because when you think of a Christian, what do you think of a good Christian? Well, well, Pastor T.J., where's the prayer? Disciples should pray, right? And what about Bible study, right? Disciples should, they should study the Bible. They should fast. They should, they should give. I mean, why did Jesus leave all that stuff out? I mean, he kind of messed up, didn't he? No, he didn't mess up. You know what Jesus did? He reminded us of what we're supposed to be as believers. Right now, guys, and we've done this thing, and I don't know why we did this, but we did. We've elevated all of the things that we do in preparation to do the work of God to the work of God. We elevated all those things. Why do we pray? We pray, not so we can tell everybody, oh, we prayed and this thing's great. Prayer, again, is not the destination. Prayer is when we come into union with God, when we pray, we move things in heaven that move things on the earth, and prayer for us is a conduit to explode this earth with God's love, power, and presence. Prayer is not the destination, it's the conduit. When we study the Bible, why do we study the Bible? So that we can be smarter, so that we can make ourselves more intelligent, so that we can be more skilled in our Facebook arguments. Why do we read the Word? We read the Word so that we can prepare ourselves to do the will of the Father. That's what Jesus did. We've even done this at times with the Holy Spirit, beloved. Sometimes we've made our spirit encounters more about what we want and what we need rather than understanding why God leads us into all truth and why He empowers us. The Holy Spirit was given to us to empower us, to transform us. Not to be kept internal, but to shift us and to change us so that he could flow through us to save a world. Not just through our intellect, but through signs and wonders. Do you know signs and wonders are still a part of the church? They should be. You know when signs and wonders will cease? When the brokenness of humanity is healed. Has humanity's brokenness been healed? Then we need signs and wonders. Has anybody here lost anybody to cancer? Has anybody here lost anybody to addiction? Beloved, we need signs and wonders. We need freedom. We need deliverance. Jesus showed us this is the core of being a disciple. (coughs) We don't allow 
our preferences to shape our gospel. We allow the Father to shape our gospel. What did Jesus do? He did the will of the Father. What does he call us to do? To do the will of the Father. John 6.38 says this. For I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my will. That cookie earlier went down the wrong pipe. We have to be careful that we don't make prep, you know, our preparation the definition of being a disciple. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. So let's take an awkward pause. Let me ask you a question. Is your faith built around the will of the Father or is your faith built around something else? Is it built around your comfort? Is it built around your pain? Is it built around your past experiences? Just bow your heads for a second. Ask the Holy Spirit. God speaks to you just like he speaks to me. The Bible says his sheep hear his voice. You're his sheep. If you're a believer, you're his sheep. Just say, Holy Spirit, is my faith, did I come up with this thing or is this what you want me to do? And listen to what he tells you. Let's keep going. So I want you to take that, whatever the Holy Spirit told you, and you just put that in your pocket for now. We're, we're a third of the way done. So if Matthew 11 gives us the bullseye for what it means to be a disciple and what greater works are, how do we get there? What's the roadmap to get there? How do we function as Jesus did to see the greater works? Two things I want to put in your head real quick before we leave. First is this. If you want to experience greater works, and be a disciple that Jesus called, you have to learn how to abide. What does it mean to abide? You know, it's one of those old words that we don't really talk about a whole lot anymore. There's power, beloved, in abiding with God and abiding with each other. Now, last week, Daniel Lumpkin, one of our elders, did a beautiful job talking about fruit, and he talked about abiding. He talked about what it means to stay connected to the vine, and I want to build on some of the things that he said last week. John 15, 5 says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now that word abide, some of you guys know I'm a word nerd. That's a Greek word that means meno. And it means this literally, to stay and to remain. So to abide means that, that you stay and you decide to remain. Now what's interesting about that word meno, it comes from the Greek word mone, which actually means this, to make a habitation. Which means this actually, to, to gain your life from. This is where I decide to live. So when you decide to abide with God, what you're saying is this, you are deciding to live in communion with God. You're intimate with Him. This is not knowing about Him, this is knowing Him and being intimately connected. All of us have intimate relationships. Now, how many of you have people that you live with? And sometimes those people you live with drive you crazy. It's the little, it's so funny to watch husbands and wives go, it's you. He's talking about you. <laughs> you remember those things that they used to do that were cute and endearing early on? Now drive you nuts. Like how they, even things like how they squeeze the toothpaste. Did you see that? Right? 
Yeah, certainly in our house, this is the biggest thing. Don't know why. It just drives me nuts. We have trash cans and a counter. I'll watch every person in my house open up something that's trash. The trash can's here. The counter's here. They'll put it here. It's literally 24 inches to the trash. And they can't get it in there. There's no, there's no barrier there. You can't, can't find its way. And I came in there, why are you guys making such a big deal? It's just the trash. It's not a big deal. The trash is two foot away. It's right there. But I'll tell you what, those people that, you, that you're close with that drive you nuts are those little things. If you're walking through death, you're walking through cancer, those are the ones that stand next to you that are immovable. Why? Intimacy. You've chosen to be intimate with them, to live with them. That's what abiding means. To abide with God means to be intimately connected with him. It's about location. Have you ever thought about this too? When it comes to your relationship with God, you know, you want to be as close to him as possible. When you, when you drift from God, it doesn't look like this. It looks like this. God doesn't move. This is God. This is you. So if you're distant from him, just come back. Religion tells you you can't come back home. Relationship says, son, daughter, I miss you. Come home. Do you understand? This is the same verse. This is John 15, 59 in the Passion Translation. And I think it, it conveys what the Greek is trying to say in a better way. It says this. I am the sprouting vine, and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. Don't live powerless. Don't live separated. Be connected to him. Is it possible one of the reasons we're not experiencing greater works is because we live separated from him? Get close. Have you ever thought about this too? Why does God always have to remind us to abide, to stay close? You know why he has to do that? Everything about our world tries to pull us away from God. The enemy works overtime. He does anything he can to separate us from our very source of life. Whether that's bringing stuff into your life that's just gooky or messing or making you totally offendable. Anything he can do to put a wedge between you and somebody else and between you and God, he'll do all that stuff to try to separate you. Why? Because that's your life source. If he can separate you from your source, what ends up happening is this. You have a form of Christianity, but you miss the heart and you miss the power. It's a shell. It's a cold shell. We had, uh, at our church in, in Illinois, we built a big building. We were growing like crazy. 53,000 square foot building, which is about double the size of this. And one of the things we had to do, uh, that whole building, imagine all the doors in the building. Imagine all the power outlets in the building. We're in one of our tech areas, and we had this piece of equipment that did stuff for TV, and we couldn't get it to work. And we tried stuff, we tried stuff, we called the company, couldn't get it to work. And then one of our guys one day, it was a big piece of equipment, so it was, it was in a rack and stuff like that. He decided to plug it into another outlet, and this crazy thing happened. It worked. So you know what they did? They took the outlet apart that was supposed to be there, they, they opened it up, it wasn't connected to anything. It had a plate, the outlet was in the wall, you know what was behind it? Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing. Wasn't connected to the power. Now, they may have done that on purpose because they were trying to get out of that building. But it was useless. It looked like a plug. It smelled like a plug. 
You fit the finger into like a plug, but it had no power because it wasn't connected. Don't be that plug. Be connected. Some of you in your faith, man, your faith is boring. Your faith is challenging, and you don't feel like you're enough in your faith because you're not connected to the source. Guys, we're talking about more than this. We're talking about this. Heart power, what God wants to do in you, right? As believers, if we want to truly be his disciples, you have to make a decision to abide. You have to make a decision that he'll be your life source. He has to be your strength. He has to be your power. Philippians 4.13 says this, And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. That should be the story of our lives as believers. There's power when we abide in Christ. Now, know this too. There's also power when we abide with each other. One of the biggest things the enemy tries to do too in us is to separate us from each other. He made for us our faith so individual that we forget that we are designed to belong. You know, two things we talk about here a lot too is to belong and thrive. You need people on your right and on your left. You need people to help walk with you in this thing called life. Because the enemy hates your guts, so we need each other. It hasn't changed. I mean, his, his tactics haven't changed. He separates you from the herd. He gets you offended. He gets you upset. Did you see the color of that carpet? That wall, what were they thinking? I'm leaving this church. The cookies, if they had two more chips in it, I would, I'd stay. But I'm not, I heard the Baptists have more chips in their cookies. We get offended by dumb things. Don't be offended. And what happens? We drift off. And when you drift off, the enemy can just grab you. He's a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. How many of you are old enough to remember Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? How many kids, how many of you had to go through therapy because of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? I'm just a little kid wanting to watch Disney that night. And what's before Disney? Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Every series is the same. You're out there and all the, you know, the antelopes are playing in the Serengeti. They're having the time of their life. Everything's great. And then you see one little baby antelope go off to the side and then you hear the music. Dun, dun, dun. And you see those cats. Have you ever noticed cats are always evil? I'm just saying. Have you ever noticed that? And then you hear the music and you see the cat stalking and the little antelope's all by himself and the mom and the daddy antelope don't know what's going on. And before you know it, he's on the menu, you know? And I'm TJ's in therapy. Here's the antelope. He's away. The enemy's tactic just hasn't changed. Don't drift away. Stay close. This is what Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says. So now wrap your heart tightly around the hope that lives within us. Knowing that God always keeps his promises. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them toward acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. Now look at verse 25. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some of you have formed the habit in doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate that dawning day. I know you guys are thinking, man, Pastor TJ, come to church like once a week. Oh. We have to find more ways to get together, to break bread, to have coffee. We abide with Christ and we abide with each other. Jesus, the Holy Spirit is your lifeline, and we, you are your brother's keeper. What do we do if one of those sheep runs and is off? We go get them. We don't talk about them. We don't say, well, I hope I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not them. We go get them and we bring them back. That's just what we do. That's what the herd does. Capiche? 
How many of you all know somebody in your life right now that's distant? It's turned their back. Go get them. Pray for them every day. Go get them. You have a child that's, uh, that's out there. They're POWs. Go get them. Find them. Bring them back. Drag them in. I don't want to be here. I don't want you here either, but I got to bring you back as Pastor TJ said I did. I'm still working out my faith. I don't know if I need to do this or not. So we abide. Second thing, if you want to do greater works, you want to function as the church, be a disciple. Beloved, you have to act. You cannot experience greater works in your faith if you don't give God opportunities to move. Give him opportunities to be God. One of the reasons we don't experience greater things is because we just don't step out. We don't give God room to do things that are impossible. When's the last time you believed in God for something that was just beyond you? And you had enough faith to grab somebody and say, we're going to pray right now. We're going to pray right now. We're going to pray for God to take care of all this right now. Let's pray. And we're going to pray until we see it happen. When's the last time you had a sick friend or neighbor or family member? I'm so sick, I don't know what to do. You say, we're going to pray right now. We're going to believe that God's going to heal this person. Why not? Why can't he do that? When's the last time you prayed with authority for somebody to be healed? When's the last time your requests moved beyond what you wanted and needed and you were just listening to the heart of the Father and he said, do this now. We had this weird thing happen. Um, um, the whole elder team, we went to see Jesus Revolution. Have you seen Jesus Revolution? If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's ridiculous. Go see it. So we went as an elder group on a Tuesday night, and then afterwards we went to Buffalo Wild Wings because you can't properly break down a movie without food afterwards. So we're eating wings at Buffalo Wild Wings, and we get done, and we had a nice time. We're talking, and as we're leaving, our waitress was, was doing stuff, and as I'm heading out the door, the Holy Spirit says, I need you to go back to that waitress, and I need you to tell her this. I'm not going to tell you what it is because she knows who we are, and if she's watching, I want to make her feel weird. And I said, okay, okay. So I walked back and said, hey, this may be weird. I don't know if you know anything about this stuff. I said, I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants you to, he wants you to know this. And I spoke a word to her. And her eyes got filled with tears. She just looked at me. She goes, thank you. And I left. I have no idea what that meant to her. I have no idea what it did in her. I have no idea what God was trying to convey. It's not my job. My job is to open the door so that God can do greater things. Now, this is something that crazy happened in that experience. I did not die. And to my knowledge, she's still alive. We all lived. Step out. Listen for the voice of the Father. And step out. Remember this, beloved. God doesn't just want to do things in your life. He wants to do things through your life. So that means for us, we have to be maybe a little less self-focused and a little more Father-focused, a little more God-focused. Um, because when we do his will, when he can trust you with his power, that means this, that means that he can trust you with his power because he knows that you carry his heart. And when you carry his heart, he can trust you to do things that are just beyond you. Um, I remember I was at, I can't tell you the church either because they may be watching some people. Uh, I was at a church and, and I'm doing my work. And our church was me, our bookkeeper was doing her stuff. And I heard this screaming coming from our, our little atrium area. And I recognized one of the voices. There's two female voices, and they were very loud. Usually when I hear female voices that are arguing, my gut reaction is to flee, <laughs> to run. 
But I recognized one of the voices, and I, I, I said, that, that's somebody that works for me. I had to figure out what's going on. So as I walked down the hall, my, the bookkeeper, she looked at me, she smiled, and she shut her door because she was a coward. <laughs> she shut her door. And I walked out, and these two ladies were screaming at each other. When I say screaming, like, like it was like Mothra and Godzilla. They were screaming. I said, I said, you guys, stop. Just stop. I said, just stop. I said, in my office now. And they put their heads down. They ran in my office. They were angry. They sat down on my, I had a little love seat, and they were like right next to each other, except they were like as far apart as they possibly could be. They're almost sitting on the arms. I said, what is going on with you guys? One of the girls, well, she was mean, and she yelled at me, blah, blah, well, she yelled at me, blah, 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 blah. So I looked at the lady first, one of them was my staff members, one was another lady, I said, you. I said, you got to be nice. You can't come in here and just start yelling at people. I said, what, you got to be nice, we're part of the same family. Said, Pastor TJ, you're right, I should be nicer. Yes, you should be nicer. I said, so hug her and make up. I was so sorry. And she hugged her and she left. And my, my other staff person, she's, oh, she finally said, I said, you. You. I said, you carry my heart. And that is not my heart. Have you ever heard me yell at anybody? No. Have you ever heard me belittle anybody? No. Have I ever called anybody's mama something? No. Then don't you ever do that again. You carry my heart. I trust you with my heart. You represent me. Don't do that. We carry his heart. Can he trust you with his power because you carry his heart right? Guys, I understand being a believer nowadays is very confusing. Everybody's yipping in your ear of what a believer is supposed to be. Can I admonish you to do one thing? Get your nose in the book. Read about the life of Jesus. If you can't see Jesus doing it, don't do it. Don't do it. Be him. Did you ever notice this about Jesus in the Bible? Who were the people that he got most uppity with? And who were the people that hated him more than anybody? The religious people. You know what that means? The more like Jesus you become, the more probably religious people aren't going to understand. I'm okay with that. Just don't be a jerk. Carry his heart. Do it well. And if you say something dumb, don't tell him you come to Trinity. <laughs> Pick your church of choice. <laughs> I, made, I thought I was being funny, and I said another church, and I got emails over that. <laughs> so we're not going to do that. Now, Jesus modeled for us what it means, again, to carry the heart of the Father. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to John 5. Again, I told you we're going to be a lot of Scripture today. We're going to finish up with this. This is a beautiful encounter of, of Jesus' heart of compassion connected to the Father that, that just sometimes, messes, he, sometimes it messes with our, with our systems and things. He said, this is a great story. He says, later Jesus went to Jerusalem for a special feast. In Jerusalem there was a pool with five covered porches, which is called Bethesda in the Hebrew language. This pool is near the Sheep Gate. Many sick people were lying on the porches beside the pool. Some were blind and some were crippled. Some were paralyzed. And they waited for the water to move. Sometimes an angel of the Lord came down to the pool and he stirred up the waters. After the angel did this, the first person to go into the pool was healed from any sickness that he had. A man was lying there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw the man and he knew that he had been sick for such a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? 
You think it's interesting that Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? I mean, you would be like, uh, yeah, that would be great. He asked him for a reason. Do you know that there's something about our faith too that activates what God wants to do in your life? It is. Sometimes, beloved, we're so trapped in our brokenness that we can't even see the solution that Jesus offers us. Look at the man's response. Look at verse 7. The sick man answered, Sir, there's no one to help me get into the pool when the water starts moving. While I'm coming to the water, somebody else always gets in before me. He didn't answer Jesus' question. He told Jesus all the reasons why he couldn't be healed. In his mind, what was his mechanism of healing? The pool. Even though the one that sent the angels on assignment was asking him the question. Don't get stuck in your stuff and your brokenness. Don't be, again, what is that? Don't get focused on the whistle. I can't believe that worked. <laughs> you know how risky that is? The whistles are going to happen? Look at verse 8. Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man was well. He picked up his mat and he began to walk. This happened, uh, the day this happened was a Sabbath day. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, today is the Sabbath. It's against our law for you to carry your mat on the Sabbath day. Verse 11, but he answered, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. So it's either I follow the religious people or the guy that healed me. I think I'm going to lean toward team Jesus. Right? Verse 12, then they asked him, who is this man who told you to pick up your mat and walk? It says, but the man who had been healed did not know who it was. That's weird to me. Isn't that weird? By the way, you healed me. What is your name? Because there were so many people in that place and Jesus had left. Verse 14, later Jesus found the man at the temple and said to him, see you're well now, stop sinning, says something worse doesn't happen to you. Then the man left and he told the people that Jesus was the one who had made him well. Look at verse 16. Because Jesus was doing this on the Sabbath day, some evil people began to persecute him. But Jesus said to them, my father never stops working, and so I keep working too. He did the will of the father. Remember John 6.38? For I've come down to heaven not to do my will, but do the will of him who sent me. So, beloved, I'm going to wrap it up. Ready? For us to truly be the church, to be a disciple, to do greater things, first, you have to abide. You have to make a decision. I'm going to live my life in communion with God. You have to allow your life to be dictated by his priorities, by his heart. Allow him to shape your faith. Don't let the denomination shape your faith. Don't let, you know, my grandma believe this. My grandpa, all that stuff is good, but you need to have an encounter with the living God. Abide with him. Spend time with him every day. Read your word. Do all that stuff. Get as close to him as possible. Immerse yourself with him. Abide. But abiding's not enough. Then you have to take the next step. You have to act. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you the way that he flowed through Jesus and the disciples to do greater works. Again, what is the target? What does a disciple look like? Matthew 11. The blind see again, the crippled walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised back to life, and the poor and the broken now hear the hope of salvation. The church is the only thing that stands between the enemy destruction we're it 
It's time for us to rise and be the church. God has empowered us to seek and save the lost. Just a few weeks, we're going to have thousands on our campus. Some that are completely lost in darkness. Be the light. Give them the light. Guys, we have to move beyond this. Start to flow in power. Bow your heads. I have one simple thing I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. Ask Him. Say, Holy Spirit, what is keeping me from being the church? What is keeping me from greater things? For being a disciple, being one that you love. And listen to what He tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.